Hey everyone, and welcome to part five of How Transformation Happens. We've spent the last four weeks talking about what happens when we're transformed. And transformation in scripture means dying to ourselves, dying to our sin, and being resurrected with Jesus. We heard that it really is all about Jesus, all about what he's done. And that faith is letting go of our insecurities and doubts and trusting and clinging to Jesus. We've heard about how God speaks to us, how he is a God who speaks, and it is through God's word that we are killed and resurrected. It is through God's word that we die and are resurrected, and it is through the law and the gospel that he accomplishes this. The law shows us our flaws, and it points us to Jesus, and the gospel delivers promises to us and actually delivers Jesus to us. Both the law and the gospel are all about getting us to Jesus. The law through recognizing our sin and our failure and the gospel by giving us and proclaiming to us the promises of God. And today what we're going to do is we're going to shift our focus from talking about transformation in the bigger picture to actually talking about what happens when we do this work together, how we gospel with one another. And how the law and the gospel, how this transformation of dying and rising with Jesus, how this happens in community and specifically in life groups. One of the fundamental truths that we have to recognize in order for this to happen is that the law, the commands or the conviction that we experience when we read scripture or we hear sermons or we read devotions, those kinds of things, that the law, that conviction actually can't make us better. It's not that it's important that we recognize that we need to do better or even the desire to want to do better. Those aren't necessarily bad things, but the law, those commands actually aren't able to make us better. It is not through our own will that we are made better. It is not through our own will that we somehow strive harder and we work harder to get better, to become more gracious and patient and peaceful. The law cannot make us better. It's not that it's not important, and it's not that God doesn't use it all the time for its purpose, but the law is impotent when it comes to actually transforming us. The law cannot resurrect us. The law cannot make us better. It can only kill us and point us to Jesus. So the law, even in our groups and in our conversations with people, the law isn't what actually makes us better. What does make us better, though, is the gospel, is the promises of Jesus given to us in the word. It is the gospel that makes us better. The gospel is that despite our failure, despite what we do wrong, we hear these promises of God. We hear these affirmations that we still have the Holy Spirit and we have all the gifts that he brings. And despite our own failure, Jesus still died for us. And Jesus forgives us our sins. It is by the gospel that we are made better. Because the law really only produces shame. The law, if it tries to make us better, it tries to shame us into being better. And shame doesn't produce the results that we want. Sure, shame can change our behavior. It can make us hide. It can make us readjust how we operate in the world. But it doesn't actually make us better. Child psychology right now is telling us that when parents use shame to parent, when they come down really hard on their kids and they shame their kids because of their behavior, in the long run, it doesn't actually produce 
the behavior results that the parents want, but it does the opposite. Shame in parenting actually creates more behavior problems later in life. And this is exactly how God operates. He does not use shame to transform us. Instead, he uses freedom, freedom from shame and freedom from guilt. And that's what the gospel offers. The gospel is the undeniable fact that God loves us and he is for us and he is giving us good things despite what we do, despite our guilt, despite our shame. He continues to love us and to meet us and to change us. That's the gospel and that's actually how we're transformed by being released from shame and being released from guilt and then we are transformed by the promises of God. We are made better, not by our attempts to be better, but by the power of God. That's the difference. It is not by our own attempts and by our own strength to be better that we are transformed. It is by the power of God itself that we are transformed. And so the way that we experience transformation in our relationships and in our life groups is by focusing on the gospel, by focusing on the promises of God that he gives to us in the scripture. Now, many of us, we tend to focus on the promises about life after death, about eternal life. And those promises are rife throughout scripture. That is certainly a promise that we have. And we have that hope of life after death, of eternal life with God forever. But those aren't the only promises we have in scripture. Those are good. Those are good promises for us to dwell on and to trust in because God has given us that. And we can look forward to this eternal life with God. But God also gives lots of promises for right now. And in fact, Scripture indicates, Jesus himself indicates, that this eternal life that we are given is actually given to us right now. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says that the Son of Man has come to give life and life overflowing or abundant. That, that Jesus actually came for the purpose of, of giving us this kind of like overflowing eternal life now. And many people in our community and in our circle, they aren't living abundantly. But that's specifically why Jesus came, is to give an abundant kind of life, an overflowing kind of life. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that in Christ, we are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In the places that God dwells, we are given all of those blessings. To me, as I read Ephesians 1 verse 3, what that means, what that's communicating to us is that all the interior kinds of stuff and the way that we think and the way that we feel, the way that we process our emotions and process what's going on around us, all of those interior blessings that we get later in eternal life are given to us now. That yeah, our bodies fail and our bodies uh, get sick we still have problems because we are interacting with other sinners like ourselves. We never get it completely right, but the interior life of the believer can be and is given to us to be like what we'll experience in heaven, what we'll experience in eternal life. That all those blessings, all that interior blessing is given to us now. All of them, not some of them, not a little bit here and there, every. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is given to us right now in Christ. These promises are huge. Another promise that I like to focus on is the fruit of the Spirit. 
In Galatians 5, we hear this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And again, the way that Paul talks about these is that these are things that are given to us right now. The Holy Spirit fills us, and these are the fruit that he gives us. This is the kind of life we can experience, a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that he actually gives us those things right now. So when we're focusing on the promises in our group, in our life group, or in our conversation, oftentimes those are the places that I go. I go to John 10 a lot, talking about abundant life, asking people if they're living a life that's overflowing with all the goodness of God. I go to Ephesians to ensure people that they have all these spiritual blessings, and I focus on the fruit of the Spirit, because it's easy for us to focus on one thing at a time and really examine, do I have joy in my life? Am I living in a way that is joyful? And we get to process and think about what it would look like to live a joyful life, what it would look like to live a life overflowing, filled to the brim with joy and peace and all the other fruit of the Spirit. So I like going when I talk about the promises with people. I like going to the fruit of the Spirit. And I like going to Ephesians 1 and John 10 because it gives us these really good anchor points to think through the promises of God. Now, of course, there are all sorts of promises in Scripture. And really what I like to do is I like to to keep the fruit of the Spirit in my mind as I'm reading through the gospel or reading through other parts of the New Testament to kind of locate these areas that we see these promises, to kind of highlight these areas that we see these promises. So with peace, you know, you can look at uh, uh, Matthew when Jesus is teaching about uh, not worrying about our money and not worrying about what we have. And he tells us to look at the birds and examine them and see that they're taken care of. That's a moment where Jesus is giving us peace. He's telling us that God loves us so much that that you can see that the birds are taken care of, so we're going to be taken care of too. That's a moment where Jesus delivers peace to us. He ensures us that God loves us, and he ensures us that God is for us, and he gives us that peace by the word. That's a way that we can focus on the promises, is keeping the fruit of the Spirit in our heads, kind of keeping it at the forefront, uh, talking about all these promises, and as we read through Scripture, identifying where we can see those promises laid out in, uh, in different ways and more nuanced ways. We can identify that and tell each other that, proclaim each other that. And the other thing that we do in these kind of transformational conversations is not only focusing on the promises and not necessarily the commands or convictions, but the promises. The other thing that we do is focus on Jesus. Always point it back to Jesus again and again and again. Every conversation that you have in your life group or those kinds of things, get it back to Jesus and what he gives us. And this isn't just a platitude because I feel like oftentimes Jesus is just used almost as like a, almost as like a cliche for us to, uh, I don't know, feel better about ourselves or just to, he, his name is just thrown around a lot and it's almost a platitude, but this isn't a platitude. This is really, really very serious because at the end of the day, you have to die to your sinful nature. And conversations, transformational conversations, a transformed life is a life where you are dying to your sinful nature. And this gets us to Jesus. It's not a platitude. It's really very serious. You have to die. 
You have to die to your insecurities. You have to die to your shame. You have to die to your guilt. You have to die to your selfishness. This isn't a platitude. This is serious. You have to die. All of these things have to happen. This, like, you cannot be resurrected first without dying. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, all of your shame, all of your selfishness, all of your guilt was nailed with him. And now you, in your heart, you have to kill those things. Those things have to die. And so the first step that we do in gospeling together uh, is identifying those places that we're operating out of the flesh. Like that's how we point each other to Jesus. The first thing that we do is just recognize, where am I operating out of the flesh? Where is this person operating out of the flesh? And so you identify those areas where if you have the fruit of the Spirit, where are they kind of operating out of the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit? If they don't have peace, what is causing turmoil in their life? And why are they responding to this turmoil in an unpeaceful manner? If they're not being patient, what's causing or what is, what, why is that impatience like growing out of them and coming out of them? You identify where they're living in the flesh. And I always go back to my kids because having children, you're just forced into, you're forced to recognize a lot of your sin when you have kids. You're forced to recognize a lot of your selfishness. At least, at least I have, I have been. That I've had to really do the work of killing my selfishness and killing my self-centeredness since I've had kids. And having children has made me better. It's actually made me holy because I've had to trust in Jesus. I've had to kill my flesh and trust in him. And so our first step in having these conversations is identifying where we're operating out of the flesh and maybe applying some of that law to recognize that this isn't how we ought to be operating. But I think that most people understand when they act selfishly or, they, uh, or they're, they're acting out of their insecurity, most people recognize that this isn't what they want. They recognize that it's not helpful. They recognize that it's not good for them. And they want change. They want to be different. And this is a great opportunity then to deliver the promises. And so we then point them to Jesus. And you point, to them, you point them to the promises that Jesus gives in Scripture, the promises that God gives us all throughout Scripture. And you walk through with the other person or with your group how to ask for those promises. Because Jesus offers us peace and love and joy. And you know what? He wants us to ask him for him. And so if you're in a space where you're not peaceful, if you're in a space where you're not joyful, ask him for it and ask boldly because it's something he's already promised to you. It's something that he says he's already given to you. And so in those moments, what you do, the way that I pray at least, is in those moments where I'm not feeling peaceful or I'm not feeling joyful, I'm just like, Lord, you promised me joy. You promised me peace, and I need you to make good on your promises. That's a prayer of faith, trusting that God will give us what we need for that moment, trusting that God will give us the gifts that he has already promised. We're not asking for anything more than he already has said he's given us. It's a prayer of faith. I'm actually, I'm actually saying God's word back to him. Lord, I need love. I need peace. I need joy. I need faithfulness right now. We're actually just asking him for the thing he's already said he's given us. This is a prayer of faith. We're asking boldly for what we need in that moment. We died to ourselves and we trust in Jesus and we trust in these promises by asking for them.
through prayer. Then we have to believe that we have that thing. We have to believe that Jesus has, in fact, given us what we need in that moment. And we identify and see where Jesus is working and where the Spirit is operating and pulling out the gifts in our lives. So this first step, we die to ourselves. And the second step is seeing and identifying where the Spirit is at work. We die to ourselves. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. We die to ourselves. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. This is the this is the pendulum swing of life. Life is not a linear line that goes, you know, you start here and then you become, in the Christian life, at least you become more and more holy as you get older. It's actually more like a spiral that over time, God kind of forces us and draws us closer to himself by us dying and being resurrected with Jesus. And we get this deepening faith where we begin to identify deeper and deeper rooted issues and we die to those and we cling to Jesus and we're back and forth in this constant dynamic changing life with Jesus. But this is the basic setup is that we focus on the promises, we identify where we're operating out of the flesh, and we ask with boldness for God to give us his promises and we trust that we have those things. It's really it's really just that simple. And in the life groups that I lead, we've been practicing this now for several months. We've been having conversations about what God's teaching us. We've been digging in deeply into what's going on in our lives. And it's this basic pattern that we've been following. We've been talking about areas that we've failed and areas that we haven't been uh, out, operating out of love as much as we could. And then we focus on Jesus. Just last night, as of recording this, just last night, we had a life group where we did exactly this, that we were having conversations about hard things that were going on in, in a family dynamic situation with one person in our group. And we talked about how we are pointed back to Jesus in all of this. We talked about how we trust in Jesus for all these things. We can't muster up the kind of compassion and hope and joy and, and comfort that we need ourselves in these kinds of family situations. We need Jesus. And so even just in our group, naturally, we've begun to do this. And it's really, really powerful because it removes it removes any sort of pretension that we might be able to do it ourselves. And it gets us to the main thing, and that's Jesus. All of those conversations, all of our life groups, they need to be pointing back to Jesus by identifying where we are acting out of flesh and killing that thing, and then being resurrected with Jesus, focusing on the promises, proclaiming the promises to one another, and trusting in those promises. And the key to this is to pray, pray, pray. Be reading your scripture and spending lots of time in prayer. Pray with the people around you. Pray with uh, other Christians. Pray with your life group. Because this is where it happens. This is where the rubber hits the road, is in prayer. We can reflect on our sin. We can confess our sin. And we can cling to the hope that we have in Jesus and cling to the promises that we have in Jesus. Really, it has to be about prayer. Prayer is where the, it's like entering the octagon. That's where the battle happens, is in prayer. And this is how we gospel together. We die to ourselves and we're resurrected with Jesus through our conversation, through identifying areas that we're living in the flesh by focusing on the promises and proclaiming them to each other and trusting in Jesus and by praying with each other. This is the basics for how it happens. Now, next week, 
we're going to dive in deeply on how we can use the discipleship circle to help us do this in our life groups. Thanks so much for joining me today. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.